The Torah tells us how after the flood, Noah <coughs> plants a vineyard and he makes wine and then he gets drunk and then he is naked in his tent. His son Ham sees him and he tells his brothers mockingly about his brothers who his names were Shem and Yefet. He tells them about how his father is naked. Shem and Yefet then take a garment and they walk backwards into the tent. They take a, a, a blanket and walk backwards into the tent so that they don't see their father naked. And they cover their father without looking at him. Um, and that way, showing their father respect. When Noah wakes up, he's aware of what happened. And he um, or sobers up. He cursed Ham, and particularly his son, Canaan, his fourth son. And he blesses shame and Yefet. And he says, um, May God make Yefet beautiful. Yaft Elokim Yefet, which is a play on words. The word Yefet comes from the word Yafa. Nice, beautiful in Hebrew. So may God be make Yefet beautiful and dwell in the tents of Shem. So our sages say that Noah in this line in this blessing to Yefet and Shem, speaking blessing Yefet with beauty and God's dwelling and Shem with God dwelling among him, uh, with him, um, he was referring to two very important nations that will come from Yefet and Shem, who will influence the entire world. Yefet is going to be the ancestor of what would later be the Greeks, and Shem is the ancestor of what would later be the Jewish now, exactly all the various descendants of Shem and Yefet, we once did a class on the 70 nations, the 70 nations descendant of Noah. That's subject of its own. We have a podcast on that. So both of these nations, both the Greeks and the Jews, were known for their wisdom, for their culture, for their religions. And both of these nations had a very great influence on the entire world around them and really on civilization. On, the, on history, on civilization, and civilization today can very much be traced back to these two nations, the Jews and the Greeks. So today we're going to talk about these two nations, the Jews and the Greeks, from a Jewish perspective, of course. Um, maybe the Greeks would tell this a little different. And um, how these civilizations met and what happened. So both the Greek nation and the Jewish nation began between three and four thousand years ago, about three and a half years, a thousand years ago. So they both began around the same time. Um, and the first 1500 years or so of Jewish, or first thousand years plus or so of Jewish and Greek history, there was little interaction that we know of between Jews and Greeks. Jews lived in the land of Israel, <coughs> uh, east of the Mediterranean. Greeks lived on, um, modern, in modern-day Greece and the Greek islands um, in the Aegean Sea. So they're um, quite a distance, a couple hundred miles from Israel. And um, there was very little interaction. In Jewish sources, in our biblical sources, we do mention in various places the Mediterranean islands. Um, presumably various Mediterranean islands um, 
Cyprus is mentioned, but Cyprus wasn't Greek at the time yet, um, but is mentioned clearly in scripture. But there are other Greek islands that are mentioned. Um, Tar Tarshish, which maybe is Crete. Um, maybe some other islands are mentioned. Iye Hayam, sometimes this islands of the sea is presumably a reference to the Greek islands. There are references to them, but not much. Um, and the Greeks speak of an area that they call Philistina, which, um, uh, which was certainly Israel at the time. Uh, but we don't have any record of much interaction between these two nations. That all changed about 2,300 years ago, which is over 2,300 years ago, when Alexander of Macedonia, whose father Philip had united all the various Greek states under his rule, <clears throat> and he led the Greek armies to conquer the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire um, encompassed then a country that stretched from um, Greece to India. It was a very, very large empire. We did a class on the Persian Empire two weeks ago. Uh, we spoke about it in more greater detail. But the Alexander um, captures all of the Persian Empire. As part of the Persian Empire, Alexander conquered the land of Israel. The leader, the Jewish leader at the time, according to our tradition, was Shimon Hatzadik. He's called Shimon the Righteous. Um, he was served a very unusual, very unusual, very rare. He served as both the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, as well of the, as the head of the Sanhedrin, the head of the Supreme Council of Judaism, and seems to have also been the governor. So he held three leadership roles that was almost never all in one person's hand, both the, um, the civil leadership, the religious leadership, and the leadership of the temple. He seems to have held all those roles. He's a quite a powerful individual. He seems to have also been leader for a very, very, very long time, about 80 years. Um, so he started as a very young man and lived a very long life and remained leader for a long time. Um, so, um, so Shimon Atzadik, it seems it was early in Shimon's leadership that Alexander conquers the land of Israel as part of his conquest of the Persian Empire. Um, and um, our tradition tells us that Shimon HaTzadik went out to greet Alexander wearing his high priestly clothing. And uh, they had, and Alexander respected him. Um, this is the way the story goes, when Alexander, uh, when Alexander saw Shimon HaTzadik with his high priestly clothing, he got off his horse and he bowed before him. And when his advisors asked him, why are you bowing to this man? He said, because I always, before I go to battle, I have a vision of this man who blesses me that I should be successful in battle. Um, and so um, he, uh, and so they, they definitely met. Um, and Shimon HaTzadik pledges allegiance to Alexander, accepts his reign over, he's conquered the Persian Empire. Israel until then was part of the Persian Empire. So now it's going to be part of the Greek Empire. And so he's, uh, they, they um, pledge allegiance to Alexander. And uh, Alexander now conquers the entire Persian Empire, controlling now the land of Israel, controlling the temple, controlling also Jews that lived throughout the area that would later be uh, uh, the area of the Greek Empire, whether in Babylonia, in Persia, in Egypt, um, in Syria. All these places had Jewish communities at the time. Um, and so um, the uh, Jews now live um, under Greek rule. All Jews essentially in the world live under Greek rule at this time. Um, so as the Greeks begin to spread throughout the empire, Greeks kind of are sent to different places, Greek garrisons of soldiers who tend to marry and settle wherever they are, um, Greek officer, Greek um, 
civil leadership in various places to manage, manage things. Um, Greeks and Jews get to know each other, and they get to learn each other's wisdom, culture, religion. And at first, the relationship is very cordial, very respectful. Um, Greeks were the rulers, but like the Persians, the Greeks allowed all people to retain their culture and religion without interference. That was a Persian earlier empires, Babylonians and, um, and Assyrians were not so open to other cultures. Um, but other religions, yes, other cultures, no. But um, the Persians were very open to anyone can keep their culture, their religion. That was just fine with them. They didn't mix into any particular na national culture or religion. And the Greeks kept the same. Alexander keeps the same policy of not mixing into any culture or religion. And so therefore the Jews are left um, alone and allowed to continue practicing Judaism. The Greek Empire, though, of Alexander doesn't let, last very long. Alexander died young, and um, he had no children to take over the empire. And so after his death, his generals split the empire among themselves. The generals fight with each other, and over time, two significant Greek empires emerge. One is the Ptolemy Empire which is um, based in Egypt, in Alexandria, and controls um, much of North Africa, or um, around the area, at least the area around Egypt, and um, Israel at the time. And the other one is the Seleucid Empire, based in southeastern uh, Turkey, what would today be Turkey, um, and covers much of Turkey, um, Syria, and for a, time, um, for a time Mesopotamia, Iraq as well. Um, the Jews, for the Jews in um, Israel, the land of Israel is under the Ptolemy rule. And the Jews in Israel, and there was also not only a large Jewish community in Israel, there's a large Jewish community in Egypt. Um, they're all left alone. They're allowed to live as Jews, worship in the temple, and continue their Jewish practice as they always did. Now, Alexandria, which was the capital of this Ptolemy empire, um, quickly becomes a giant metropolis, giant, giant city, and becomes the center of Greek wisdom and knowledge. Now, Alexandria becomes where all the Greek scholars are, essentially. It becomes the center. The Ptolemies uh, are highly supportive of Greek scholarship, and so essentially most Greek scholars are in Alexandria in one place. Um, the Great Library of Alexandria housed tens of thousands of books, of Greek books and was considered the greatest center of learning in the ancient world. Um, and the uh, Greek um, scholars um, lived around um, and worked around this great library of Alexandria. Remember, all books then were hand, there was really papyrus scrolls that were handwritten at the time. They didn't have books as we think of books. And um, to, to have a large library was something that was very challenging and very hard to find. Not too many people had libraries of more than a few books. Because right? each book is written by hand. Um, but the Ptolemies really supported this library and built this library over generations. And um, so it was a place where you can really read up, read. Um, so one Ptolemy, and we're not sure exactly this, which one, but one of the early ones, maybe even the first, wanted to also have a Greek copy of the Torah. There was a very large Jewish community in Alexandria itself, large number of Jews in the Ptolemy Empire. Um, the land of Israel was majority Jewish at the time. Um, and so he wants to have a Greek copy of the Torah. 
But he didn't trust that if he asked Jewish scholars to translate the Torah for him into Greek, that they would give him an accurate translation. So what he did is he took 72 Jewish scholars, he locked each one up, and he told each one to translate the Torah. And that way he had 72 different translations that he could later merge. And if anyone corrupted the translation, it would be canceled out by the others that they could have, he could have his own scholars kind of compare them. Um, the Talmud tells us that they did make a number of changes to the Torah, 10 changes in total. Um, and uh, each change, um, all 72 scholars made the same changes somehow. They all came up with the same changes. Some things that would be considered maybe not politically correct. Things that weren't politically correct, yes. Things that, um, the, the one classic example is it says the Torah opens with the words Bereshit bara elokim, in the beginning created God. And if you write in the beginning created God, then you think that there was a thing called in the beginning that created God. So they switched it around. They wrote God created in the beginning. And they didn't really change the meaning. They didn't change the meaning. They, they adjusted small things. So it wasn't censorship. This, this translation, which is the earliest translation of the Torah into Greek, became known as the Septuagint, or Sept from 70, right? Translation of 70. Oh. Um, and so it, now that the Septuagint was available, and it was copied many, many, many times over, um, there was now a written Torah for Greeks to read and to study. Greeks could read the Torah. Now, mind you, they didn't have our oral Torah. They had the written Torah, but they didn't have the oral Torah. The written Torah is cryptic and very hard to understand without the oral tradition. But they did have the written Torah, and they're able to study it and appreciate it. So later, the written Torah would also serve as a resource for Greek-speaking Jews. There would be Hellenized Greek-speaking Jews. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and the, the, the Septuagint, a Greek Torah, serves as a source for them as well. So after about 150 years under the Ptolemy rule, which was pretty, uh, besides this one requirement to translate the Torah, was pretty tolerant. We don't know of any problems that Jews had under the Ptolemy rule. Um, the, in a war between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, there were constant wars between these two empires. Um, and in a war, the Seleucids managed to capture the land of Judea, the land of Israel. And so now Israel was under Seleucid reign. By this time, many Greeks had settled in the land of Israel. Greeks built colonies all across um, both major Greek empires, both the Seleucid Empire um, in Syria, uh, based in, in southern Turkey, Syria, um, as well as in the Ptolemy Empire. Um, Alexandria, the capital of the, of the Ptolemy Empire, has, was essentially a Greek-speaking city. Um, so was Antioch, which was the, cop the capital of um, the Seleucid Empire, was also a lo very large Greek-speaking city. They were probably the two largest cities in the world at the time. Um, but there were, there were Greeks that settled in the land of Israel as well. Um, presumed they probably were people originally who were soldiers in Greek garrisons who married and had children and ended up settling um, in Israel. Their children were raised in Israel in Greek colonies. Uh, so there were Greeks in Israel. Many local people also became Hellenized in these empires or adopted Greek culture in order to succeed, in order to have a position of power, in order to be recognized. Um, one needed to become more Greek. If you were Greek, you could get 
you could rise to powerful positions. You had more opportunity. So a lot of people adopted Greek culture. Um, and um, this was true even for a significant number of Jews, especially the upper-class wealthy Jews in Judea, um, even more so Jews in Alexandria or in Antioch, um, were um, adopted Greek culture. Um, while most Jews spoke Aramaic, the land of the the language, sorry, of the Babylonian Empire. Most Jews at the time spoke Aramaic. The Hellenized Jews spoke Greek. They were Greek-speaking Jews. Uh, they also dressed. Well, Jews had a kind of their own mode of dress. Greeks dressed differently. And the Jews, the Hellenized Jews, would dress like Greek Greeks. And they lived Greek culture, read Greek books, and lived very much Greek culture. Um, these people, the Hellenized Jews, seems to have mostly been religiously Jewish. In other words, if you would ask them what their religion, they didn't worship the Greek gods. Some may have. Um, most seemingly did not. Um, but still were strongly Hellenized in their outlook and their culture, um, and definitely in their language and dress. Um, over time, friction grew in the land of Israel between the Greek colonists and the Jews, as well as between the Hellenized Greek-speaking Jews, Jewish elite, and um, the religious and the regular Jews in Israel, the, the Aramaic-speaking traditional Jews in Israel, um, those kind of still loyal to Jewish, uh, still practicing traditional Jewish culture and religion as, as it was then. Um, and there was friction between what was the Hellenized Jewish elite um, who presumably held powerful positions, um, positions of power, and the religious leadership of Israel, who were the officially kind of um, leaders um, religiously of Israel. Um, and the Greek rulers presumably generally sided with the uh, first group, with, a, with the Hellenized Jews, who they could relate to better, um, were, were more like them. At one point, under the Seleucid reign, um, it's thought to be under the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, the Greeks seized control of the temple under, with the support of Hellenized Jews who, um, who wanted um, access to high priesthood, who bought high priesthood, um, and uh, they seized control of the temple. And then um, they um, introduced their own Greek practices into the temple, eventually turning the temple into a Greek temple for Greek gods. And then um, they banned, the Greeks went and banned many Jewish practices in an attempt to forcibly Hellenize the Jewish people. So at this point, Matisyahu, the Hashmonian, um, from a town called Modi'in, which is east, uh, north of Jerusalem, um, started a rebellion. Um, that over time succeeded in um, overthrowing the Greeks, throwing the Seleucid Greeks out of Judea and declaring Judea independent. They restored the temple, restored the service in the temple, made it, went back to its regular traditional service, and they famously lit the menorah. And that victory and the miracle of the menorah that lit for eight days um, is the miracle that we celebrate every year on Hanukkah. So though the Hashmonaim, the Hasmoneans, won the battle with the Greeks becoming independent and now becoming this tiny state sandwiched between the Ptolemies to the south and the Seleucids to the north, these two Greek empires, they were sandwiched in between. Um, the, um, and they played them, they continued playing them against the, off each other. 
um, which is how they retain their independence for about eight decades. Um, the Hasmoneans rule Israel until the Romans come. Eventually, the Romans take over all of these, both of these Greek empires and Judea in between. Um, but Hellenism, even though Hasmoneum won, Hellenism remains very strong in Israel. There's still a large number of Greeks living in Israel. And a lot of these Greeks are wealthy, powerful, um, successful. Um, there are also a large number of Hellenist Jews, Greek-speaking, Greek-dressing Jews, who are still Jewish in religion, but are culturally Greek. Um, there's a very large number of them. In fact, within a generation, the Hashmonaim, the Hashmonaim themselves were from a family of priests, of Kohanim, of high priests. They were grandchildren of Yochanan Kohen Gadol, a high, former high priest. Um, and they, of course, become high priests, but they also become civil leaders of Israel, which we believe was wrong. The um, religious leadership was not happy with that, but they seized power as well. Um, but the Hashmonai rulers themselves become Hellenist within a generation. They themselves adopt Greek names and culture and dress. What their parents fought against within a generation. The, the grand, children, grandchildren become Hellen, highly Hellenized. They're still religiously Jewish, but their, their culture is Greek. And Hellenism, in other words, the Greeks continue living in the land of Israel um, through the Hashmonai period into the Roman period of Roman rule. And uh, throughout the period of Roman rule, there's, still a, there's a significant a minority, but a significant Greek presence in the land of Israel. There's also a large number of Hellenized Jews. Jews who speak Greek, for whom Greek is their primary language, who dress Greek, who um, value Greek culture um, and Greek scholarship, and, um, and are at odds with traditionalist Jews and had, at times, various relationships with the religious leadership. At times, they didn't get along too well with the religious leadership, who generally, fr generally frowned on Hellenism, on Greek culture. We'll soon talk about why. So, um, so there's a large number of Hellenist Jews as well as Greeks in the land of Israel. Um, and that continues until the rise of Christianity in the second or third centuries. It's largely believed that um, most of the Greeks in Israel will, would have become um, Christian and perhaps many of the Hellenized Jews did as well. Um, they, they do disappear with the rise of Christianity. The word Hanukkah means dedication. They de rededicated the temple. Dedication means dedication. Yeah. Dedication. Yeah. To rededicate. What, I don't, maybe this isn't a class, but like the Maccabees and those people. Who, is that a whole different class? We told the story of the Maccabees, I think, a year or two ago. Oh, okay. We did a class on that. But it's a great story. I could tell it afterwards briefly. The Greeks at this point, <laughs> were they, was it the... Greek Orthodox Church, or that came after Christianity? This is prior to Christianity. Okay. This is so prior this to Christianity. Was, this was uh, Zeus and the different gods? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. What's interesting is, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but what's, what's very interesting is that we're, gonna, we're talking here about the clash between kind of the ancient Greeks and the Jews. Um, later, uh, many, many years later, um, Jews are going to suffer in Poland. Um, fast forwarding, this is just kind of a side note. Jews are going to suffer in Poland. And they suffer in Poland in um, 1648 and 1649. 
Now, one day we'll do a class on it in what's called the Chemonitsky uprisings. We touched on it, we did a class on Ukraine. Um, with the Ukrainians rebel against the Poles, they're under Polish rule. And in that rebellion, every Jewish town that the Ukrainians arrived at, every town they arrived at, they slaughtered the entire Jewish community. Right? Terrible, terrible genocide. Um, tens of thousands of Jews were killed. Um, and um, in the Jewish descriptions of it, and we have a number of um, we have a number of Jewish descriptions of it, um, they see it as a battle with the Greeks. Um, and they see kind of the metaphor of the old battle of the Jews and the Greeks, where, because remember, the, the Ukrainians' biggest issue with the Poles were that the Poles were Catholic, and they were Orthodox. And, um, and so, and Orthodox Christianity is, of course, associated with Greece, or with Greek Eastern Rome, um, Greek Rome. And um, so the Jews saw this battle as a battle between Romans and Greeks, between Catholics and Orthodox. It was, it was very much a religious war. And the Jews were being killed as a battle between Jews and Greeks. Uh, and that's the way they saw it, even though the Ukrainians were not you know, Greeks by any stretch. Uh, but uh, that's the way they saw it, because they were Orthodox Christians. So there is, I guess, that link, since you brought it up. That's a very good point. Well, you um, know, we had that speaker. Um, that speaker yes, was spoke about it. Yes, yes. Yeah. But let's, we're getting off topic, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to the topic. Thank you, Steve. So while Jews were drawn to Greek culture, many Greeks at the same time were drawn to Judaism. The Septuagint and later Greek translations of the Torah opened the wisdom of Judaism to Greeks. They were able to at least see the written. They didn't have our oral Torah. They had the written Torah. Now, some Greeks hated Jews, and we have a lot of records of anti-Semitic Greeks. Some Greeks had this hatred to Jews and used the Torah as a way to put Jews down and wrote repeatedly against Jews and despised Jews. Um, but many Greeks, and remember, the Greeks now are living both in the Ptolemy Greek Empire in Egypt. They're living among Jews. It's a very large Jewish community in Alexandria. A significant percentage of the Alexandrian, the city of Alexandria is Jewish. Um, maybe even 30-40% of the city is Jewish. Um, Jews in, uh, Greeks in Syria are living among Jews, and of course Jews in the land of Israel, Greeks in the land of Israel are living among Jews. So large numbers of Greeks at the time are living around Jews. Um, and by this time Jews probably were already living in Greece. Um, so and, and, and they have now access to Greek translation of the Torah. And many are impressed especially by our monotheistic beliefs and values. And many Greeks at the time rejected their own mythology, which didn't make much sense, in favor of a much more reasonable Jewish monotheism, a Jewish monotheistic God, an absolute infinite creator that doesn't have mythology, that doesn't have these kind of mythological stories. They also rejected their own values, which we'll talk about soon, in favor of Jewish values. And so by the second century, it's thought that as many as 10% of the Roman Empire, and mostly the Eastern Roman Empire, in other words, the, the Rome was split. Um, the Western side of the Roman Empire, most of Europe was um, Latin speaking. The Eastern side of the Roman Empire, um, 
Greece, what today is Greece, Turkey, the Eastern uh, Egypt, Syria was all Greek speaking. And so the Greek speaking side of the Roman, and later those two sides split between the Eastern and Western Empire. But the, the, the Eastern side of the empire lived much, had a lot more Jews. Jews were mostly, there were Jews on the Western side of the empire, but mostly on the Eastern side of the empire at the time. Um, and so large numbers of Greeks adopted monotheism. They didn't adopt Judaism. They adopted the Jewish God and the belief in the, belief in the basics of Judaism and Jewish values. And they read the Torah and sought values from the Torah. They didn't necessarily follow the commandments, though. They weren't circumcising or, um, or keeping kosher or keeping Shabbat, but they were keeping Jewish values. Um, it's widely believed that most of these monotheistic Greeks um, ended up adopting Christianity. Um, and in fact, they were probably, you know, that's probably where Christianity got most of its early adherence from. Um, because in many ways it gave the Greeks the Jewish values while coming up with a theological explanation why they are not required to follow the commandments of the Torah. Um, so it was an opportunity for them to take the values of Judaism and the God of Judaism without having to um, give up, you know, without having to, ex to take on um, the commandments which are challenging. So what exactly were, so there was, there's a lot of crossovers. We can see Jews adopting Greek culture, Greeks adopting Jewish values, right? It goes both ways. So what exactly were the differences between Judaism and Greek culture? So the most obvious difference is Judaism is monotheistic. We believe in an absolute infinite creator, creator of everything um, that cannot be seen, cannot be described, cannot definitely, you cannot make an image of such a creator because he's absolute um, and so uh, and that's the creator we worship the Greeks describe the Jewish temple as a temple that has no idols no statues whole temple no statues uh, the Greeks of course were polytheists they had this complex mythology old-fashioned idolaters pagans so in addition to that Jews had believed in values we believed in the very concept of moral values goodness good and evil some things are good some things are evil are wrong God defines those values for us God tells us what's good what's bad we had values such as human life human life stood above everything we valued property uh, personal property we valued family Struck a family structure to to uh, 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 ban woman family structure. Um, we valued a concept of spirituality that there is meaning and purpose beyond our materialistic world. There's other greater cause. There's a greater cause, God, for which we were created. Greeks at the time were mostly hedonistic. They celebrated the body. They celebrated the human body. Um, with Olympics, sports, uh, they had games celebrating human strength, human power. They didn't have a problem with cruelty. They thought cruelty was just another expression of human strength. If you could be cruel, it was a they saw it as a positive thing. Um, they believed in, they didn't believe in the value of life. Um, they believed in enjoying life to its maximum. They saw no greater value than pleasure. 
Judaism, of course, rejects all of that. We reject celebration of strength of the human body. We reject the celebration of pleasure. We saw a supreme value given to us by God. We need to sacrifice ourselves and our own personal pleasure and enjoyment for the greater values, for God who has created us and given us a role and given us a mission. We see a life of purpose, a life of spiritual purpose beyond our own human pleasure. No, we didn't say it's bad to have pleasure. We don't see pleasure as an end in itself. That's not the goal for which we're supposed to live. We don't believe in enjoy life because tomorrow you're going to die. Which was not unique to Greeks. There were many other cultures. The Persians were probably even more hedonistic than the Greeks. Um, but they believed in living a, you know, they, they both glorified uh, pleasure and personal enjoyment without any kind of greater morals. Um, as well as they particularly glorified strength, physical strength and might, cruelty, um, bravery, um, were Greek values. I mean, they, they had a long history of as fighters, right, as warriors. Did they, did they keep separate geographically? No, 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 not at all, not at all, not at all. They were very much mixed. Jews were lived in Alexandria. Greeks lived in Alexandria. So there were definitely Greeks that converted to Judaism and Jews that became pagan. And certainly they would have intermarried. Um, there were most Jews were Jewish and Greeks were Greeks, right? They largely didn't intermarry, remained separate people, um, but lived very much together. They lived in the same city, the same lands. And interacted, and as we pointed out, there were many Jews who adopted Greek culture and many Greeks who adopted Jewish values. There was a lot of kind of co-mixing of their respective traditions. So could a Jewish man become a, a Greek citizen? Then? So citizenship didn't mean that you were culturally Greek. But yes, the Greeks allowed non-Greeks to become citizens, which was really kind of a unique thing about Greek culture where Greek had this citizenship idea where there were citizens and non-citizens and yes, non-Greeks could become citizens. So another side of Greek culture was its focus, was its scholarship. Greece was known as the center of scholars already from its days before the empire. Greek was known for its great scholarship. Um, part of that scholarship was a focus on logic and reason. Greece produced many great scholars. They were very developed in astronomy, mathematics. Probably they took their astronomy, mathematics, sciences that they had, medicine. They almost certainly took it from other peoples, from Babylonians, from Assyrians, Egyptians, um, from other groups. Um, in other words, they didn't invent it themselves. Um, they, they, they definitely took from other groups. Uh, but they definitely developed a lot. They also wrote a lot on philosophy. Um, being among the first to write philosophy, we don't really find much philosophy before Greek scholars. Um, and um, they, so they knew a lot of philosophy sciences. They developed a lot, um, even in early Greece and even more so in classical Greece, um, in the Greek um, Ptolemy and Seleucid empires, and then later 
in the Eastern Roman Empire, in the Greek side of the Eastern Roman Empire, where especially Alexandria was, where it was a center for scholarship. Um, scholarship meaning um, logic, um, philosophy, astronomy, mathematics, medicine. Our sages also studied this subject. We had a long Jewish history of astronomy. We had calendars, uh, complex calendars, uh, that required astronomical, uh, astronomical knowledge. We had knowledge of mathematics. We had ancient Jewish knowledge of mathematics um, and um, geometry and um, other early... Um, uh, and um, we had our own um, logic and reason in Judaism. Um, but our sages also studied a lot from Greek scholars, and they borrowed a lot from Greek scholars. Um, they learned a lot from Greek scholars, um, but we, and we adopted a lot of Greek methods for astrology, for mathematics, for other things. We, we adopted a lot from the Greeks. Um, and we recognized that Greek wisdom was admirable, and there was much to learn from. And yet there was a limit, a very important limit, because... For many of the early Greek philosophers, philosophy was the essentially ultimate, uh, and reason, logic, was the ultimate um, kind of wisdom and had the answers to everything. Um, while Judaism very much embraced logic and um, Jewish study, Jewish and analytical study, and um, what we would call Talmudic study, Talmud, of course, itself came much later, um, was... Uh, used reason and logic extensively, uh, but at the same time, we also recognize that logic isn't everything. God is ultimately beyond logic and reason. And we don't believe in God just because he tells us things that we understand and we relate to. We believe in a God who is above human intellect and not limited by human intellect and can do, therefore do things and command us to do things that we won't necessarily understand. And we do them even though we don't understand it just because he taught us for no other reason. In fact, it's been pointed out that when the Seleucid Greeks banned Jewish practice in the lead up to the rebellion that we celebrate in victory, that we celebrate on Hanukkah, um, the specific bans the Greeks had on Judaism were for the things that were not really understood or for our recognizing God as above our own logic and reason. They banned circumcision. Circumcision is a non-logical, has no reason why circumcised. It doesn't seem to have any benefit to it. Um, in fact, it was, by mo it was often considered barbaric. You're circumcising a child um, who has no say um, without, their, without asking them. Um, a lot of people today believe that. A lot of people today still believe that. The Greeks believe that. And they banned it. They therefore banned it. So why do we do it? Because God tells us to do it. It's the only reason. The only reason why we do it. That's our covenant with God. They banned keeping Shabbos. Shabbos reminds us how God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Um, it reminds us of creation and reminds us how God ultimately controls our world. He is in control of everything. It is the way that we remember God's control of our universe and God, how God is the ultimate arbitrator in our universe. Um, and the Greeks did not recognize that and therefore they banned Shabbos. They also banned the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar reminded us of our uniqueness as a Jewish people. As a people, um, it was our unique calendar. Um, allows us to celebrate the festivals. They banned um, the Sanhedrin from keeping a Jewish calendar. 
So there were, so while we did value Jew, Greek wisdom, science, philosophy, we also recognized, unlike the Greeks who saw logic and reason as the end of everything, the ultimate, we see God as being beyond logic and reason, and therefore commands us to do things that may well be beyond our logic and reason. In addition to that, the Greeks build a really advanced culture for their time. They wrote a lot of poetry, a lot of great literature, songs. They wrote stories. They had a great appreciation for the arts, sculptures. They developed the arts. And while um, the content of the art did not generally fit our Jewish values, it was hedonistic, celebrating pleasure, uh, a lot of it celebrating sex human sexuality, a lot of it celebrating human strength. That was kind of the Greek value, so that's what they celebrated with their art. We did value their art itself and the beauty they created. And we recognized beauty, and we valued the fact that they did, while we didn't necessarily value the content of their art, we did value their art skills. Our sages teach, the Torah lists a number of non-kosher animals, and our sages say in the Midrash that each of these non-kosher animals represent a different empire. And they say that the Arneves, the hare, represents the Greek empire because it sings. And the Greeks sing the praises of God. How do the Greeks sing the praises of God? Because they celebrate nature. They celebrate art. They celebrate the world God created, which while they did not recognize that, we see that as effectively praising God when you recognize Culture, you recognize art, you're essentially praising God in our world. They recognized also the beauty of the Greek language. It was one of the most advanced languages of the time, given its advanced literature. Our sages said that while the Torah should only be written in Hebrew, the one language it can be accurately translated into is Greek. And it had been by that time, of course, translated into Greek. And the only language they allowed you to read the Torah from, other than Hebrew, was Greek. They saw Greek as a beautiful language in the sense that, sense that it can best express the Torah. Or they recognize that Noah's blessing to Yefet, that God will make him beautiful, was expressed in the beauty of Greek art. So while we disagreed with the Greeks, um, in we rejected parts of their culture, the hedonism, the celebration of human strength. We reject their Paulinism uh, and um, mythology, um, in our belief in monotheism and the true God. However, we did celebrate and learn much from Greek science, mathematics, philosophy, though we recognize God as ultimately beyond reason. We also appreciate the art and beauty of the Greeks. And we believe that everything positive can be used for God and Torah. And we did take positives out of Greek science and culture while dropping the negatives. Ultimately, the world has moved on from Greek culture. Um, ultimately, with time, Jewish monotheism prevailed over Greek mythology. Jewish values have largely prevailed. Some time ago, we did a class on um, how our current Western values um, come from Jewish values, showing how many of our current Western values come from Jewish values. So ultimately, Jewish values prevailed. But the Greek science, um, the Greek art, um, had a very strong influence on our culture as we have it today and continues to do so. Greek philosophy had a very strong influence on our culture. They gave us democracy um, and many other great things that we have today. Um, and we value those things. And uh, while Judaism 
believes, our sages say, there, if, if someone tells you that there is wisdom among the nations of the world, believe them, because there is great wisdom. Uh, many nations of the world have produced great wisdom. However, Torah, Bagoyim, someone says that there is Torah among the nations of the world, Al-Tamim, do not believe them. In other words, our values come exclusively from Judaism. But the sciences, the arts, the wisdom can come from others as well. And Jews have taken wisdom from all sorts of people that we have interacted with, but perhaps none more than the Greeks. So while on Hanukkah we celebrate the victory of Jews over the Greeks, uh, we recognize at the same time we did also gain a lot from the Greeks as well.